Hi there. This is Sam Musgrave, pastor over college and young adult ministry at Trinity Community Church. This podcast is a collection of the sermons from our gatherings. My prayer is that you will grow in knowledge and love for King Jesus, or maybe come to faith in him for the very first time. Join me now for this sermon. Good evening. It's good to see you. And from my perspective, it's good to be seen. So we are going to the Word of God. So let me give you some preface. First of all, I don't know that I have what it takes to be a first-timer here. I mean, these guys and gals are tough. I mean, it's not really as much of an introduction as it is a grilling. So for all of you that stood tall, man, you've got my respect, and I'm glad you're here. For me, when I go to the Word of God, I remind myself of things very simply, because I don't want to overlook the most basic. And the most basic thing for me is that God, Yahweh, communicated with me. He communicated with me in a way that I could understand. Not that I understand everything he said, but you understand when I say that he communicates with us in an environment where the people that are being written to understand what he's saying. The perfect exposition or exegesis of God was Jesus. John said, we had the prophets. Very cool. But now we've got God with us, and if we want to know what God is like, we watch Jesus. He's the exact representation of God. And if you want to know what God thinks of you, read about Jesus. Read what he says. So, in our study, we're to the book of Ruth. So I'm looking at Ruth. I've, I've studied it and read it over the years. But I can tell you honestly, it'll never be the same again. She's no longer Ruth. She's become my little sister, Ruth. God communicated to my soul when he included in the canon of Scripture the story, the saga of a young lady that had nothing to recommend her. And he reached out and took her to himself in the series that we're reading. And it reaches my soul because I have nothing besides arrogance. I have nothing that recommends me. And when I see the father reach out for the underdog, the underprivileged, it stirs me because I said, that's me. He's reaching out to me. I may not qualify in your eyes, but I qualify in his eyes. So as we approach this, I hate to call it a story because I don't want to trivialize it, but when we talk about the saga of Ruth and what God does in her life and what he's saying to her and what he's saying to us, it's unbelievable. It's very sweet. So before we go to Ruth, 
You know we always have to do a preparation verse, correct? Got to do a prep verse. I didn't just make that up. Last week, the prep verse was, All scripture is breathed by God and it's profitable. It's useful. It does a work. So when we come to Ruth today, here's the attitude that I'm coming with, the attitude that I hope I can encourage you to come with. God breathed out this Ruth story, and it is profitable for you and I to learn, to be corrected, to be encouraged, to be walking in step with our Creator. It's God breathed. Now, this doesn't happen to you. It happens to me. And because it does, I share it with you. You can forget, sometimes I can forget, that my relationship with God is relational, not informational. It doesn't end with informational. Don't you just love the AL words that are part of our culture? Missional, intentional. They're not a part of your culture? They are. So when we come to Scripture, it's more than just informational. It's not an informational relationship. I learn these things and I do them and God is happy. It's relational. I knew these, I learned these things. They represent who God is and I'm in a daily, moment by moment relationship with Him. And the results of that relationship are a changed life. So much different than rules and behavior modification. What we want is the Spirit of God based in the truth of the Word of God that produces soul transformation. And when the soul is transferred or transformed, when the spirit is transformed, the behavior is transformed. There's no question we want a change in behavior. It's the witness that the, that the belief that we say we have is legitimate. So Hebrews 4.12 is our informational verse today. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Most of you have heard this verse, yeah? Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Just very quickly, the Word of God is alive. You can't separate, really, the Word of God and the person of God. When God speaks and says something, when he moves through his writers and it's written, that's the essence of God. You don't toy with that. You embrace it. You learn what it means to embrace it. So the Word of God, it's alive, and not only alive, it's energized. So when we study, when we study with each other, when we talk back and forth about the Word of God, it's alive because God is alive. Now, this little series of words, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. That's not dividing soul from the spirit, joints from the marrow. No, it's talking about a scalpel, a very sharp knife that lays things bare so that you can see. 
You could even translate this, the soul, the joints and the marrow of the soul and spirit are laid open. What we're talking about here is a close look at reality. And so the writer of Hebrews says, God's word's alive. It's got energy and it slices through to the truth. Two things. Discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Okay. Thoughts are, my thoughts are like yours. Deliberations, pondering, thinking things through. Do you ever just sit quietly and try to reason through something? Or you see a car and you think, you know, one day I'm going to drive that bad boy. Not everybody knows your thoughts, but you know. Okay? And what the writer's saying, those thoughts that are private to you, perhaps, the Word of God lays them open. Not to the world, it lays them open to you, to me. But the second one is even more potent. Look at this. Not only does the Word of God, because it's alive and because it's energizo, it's active, it discerns, it decides those thoughts, those inward thoughts, and also the intentions of the heart. And the, inten- the intentions, the, the definition I saw that I liked the most was a pondering below the surface. The intentions of the heart may be the things that I don't even admit to myself. I share myself, I share with myself my thoughts freely. But sometimes the intent, the undercurrent of my life, I'm not willing to deal with it. I'm not willing to go there. And so the writer says, the word of God, which is alive, which has purpose, which is a redeeming communication to us, will show you the undercurrent. Things you may not even be admitting to yourself, let alone to anyone else, it'll show them. It uncovers them. Okay. So with that in mind, we go to Ruth. And what I'd like to do is read the first five verses that we covered last week do a review, and then go to the last part of the chapter. So this week and last week are really kind of set up the background for understanding Ruth. So let me read, starting in verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the county of Mo- country of Moab, and he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malan and Chilion. They were Epaphrodites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. And these two took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malan and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without two sons and without her husband. Okay, not a very auspicious beginning in the tale or the saga of Ruth. So basically what we have, we have a man named Elimelech, 
who is an Israelite, a Jew. And when it says there was a famine in the land, nobody needs to ask the question, which land? It's the promised land, for crying out loud. There was only one land. They identified Moab because it needed to be identified. But the writer of this, writing primarily to the Jewish nation, said Elimelech lived in the land, the land. So here you have a man, Elimelech, whose name means Yahweh is king, or my king is Yahweh. He lives in the land. He's been given a piece of dirt that will be in his family, ideally, forever. You the way the system worked, just one little note. For instance, if he took a loan out on the land and, and it was foreclosed on, he'd lose the land, right? But in the year of Jubilee, 50 years, the land is returned. In God's perfect economy, the way he set up Israel in the beginning, everybody had a piece of dirt. Everybody had a living. Everybody owned a part of the promise. So when Elimelech left the land... He left his promise. He left his piece of dirt. And he said, can you imagine? My name is Yahweh, is king. Why don't I have any food? I'm living in a town, Bethlehem, that's called the breadbasket. And I find myself having to take my wife and my two little kids, and we go to Moab, which is a, a traditional enemy of ours, to find a place to live. There is the context. It's a bitter context. And so what I'm looking for, and I've already read the end of the book, I get it. I'm looking for God. What is God going to do in real time with this kind of a scenario? But in order for us to understand what God's doing, we need to own what's happened here. We talk a lot about worship, and it's a wonderful thing. Most of the time, when we talk about worship, we think of what? For extra credit. Singing. Joseph, you don't need extra credit. <laughs> yeah, we think of music. And who here wants to give up music? Put your hands down. We don't want to give it up. We don't want to say anything about music that would take it away. We love it. And it's a chance for us to sing praises and to worship. But if we want to get a little bit different look at worship, we could substitute the word obedience. Lord, I bring you my obedience. I bring you a contrite heart that's expressed in obedience. And all week long, I'm dedicated to worship you, worship slash obey you. So when I'm together with my brothers and sisters, our corporate worship is a celebration of our lives every day. And so when we come to the Word of God and open it up, the expression of God himself, can there be a higher form of worship than that? There cannot be. So when we look at it and ask God, teach us what it means, show us the meaning, it is a tangible forward form of worship. It's a tangible form of obedience. Yes, Lord. Let me add one thing to this. 
I think the context that it's written in and the pursuit of the context of the scripture and the culture is a form of worship and honoring God because it sheds light on his word. Just think about that for a second. When we study what happened to Elimelech, when we see what happens to Ruth, that context is pulling the word of God apart so that we can see it. And the word of God is in there alive and powerful in our lives. And I see myself in Ruth. I may see myself in Elimelech. He's greatly disappointed. I'm greatly disappointed. Are you greatly disappointed with anything? It's a part of the reality of what God deals with in his writing. So Elimelech, in good faith, takes his family for a short time to another country so they can eat. He stays there, and his two sons stay there, and the end result is three childless widows. This is the building of the story. In that culture, I don't know how you could be any more destitute than a childless widow, unless there's three of you banded together. This is not a case where misery loves company. Okay. Reading the rest of the chapter. So Naomi, what is she going to do? She says, the writer, probably Samuel, says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Now stop right there. You see, she's living her life in relationship to the knowledge of Yahweh. She heard that the Lord had visited the people in her old town, in her old country, and she wants to go home. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi, whose name means pleasant or lovely, said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, each of you, return to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. So she's saying, look it, we need to split up here. I'm in a strange land, but you're not. And when she says, go to the house of your mother, in a polygamous society where a man had more than one wife, a lot of times a woman would be in charge of her household and another woman in charge of her household. And so Naomi says, go back to your mom. Go someplace where you can get three squares a place to stay, a place that's safe, and where you can have a future. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we'll return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. 
If I should say I have hope, even if I were to have a husband this night and bear sons, would you wait until they were full grown? Would you refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. Stop there for a second. The the custom here was that if a man died, his next youngest brother would marry his widow and produce offspring to his name, to his line, so that they protect the lineage. Elimelech, as we understand, is about ready to get frozen out. His sons are dead. He doesn't have any line. And so Naomi's saying, you can't come with me. There's no future with me. I don't have sons. And it's kind of ludicrous. She says, even I had babies now, would you wait until they were old enough to marry? No, there's no hope with me. I don't have anything at my disposal that will meet the needs that you have in your life. No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Here again, her relationship to Yahweh. Yahweh's brought food. Yahweh has brought this test. In fact, she says he's the one responsible. She's living in relationship. She's living a God-conscious life. Then the girls lifted up their voice and wept again. And Oprah, Orpah, kissed her mother-in-law, which I think means goodbye. But Ruth, whose name means refreshment, clung to her, wouldn't let her go. And so Naomi says, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But now Ruth is going to say something that you've heard in weddings for many, many years. And we're going to read it through. Then we're going to come back and put it in its real context. See, Ruth says to Naomi, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God is my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more, if anything but death parts me from you. What a statement. It's a beautiful wedding Quote, no question about it. But in its context, what is Ruth saying? She's saying, I'm going to leave my people. I'm going to leave my land. Everything that I'm familiar with, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to lead my gods. I'm going to embrace you, and I'm going to embrace your gods. I'm not holding anything back. Don't say I have to go. I want to go with you. I want to embrace your faith. I want to embrace your God. This may be one of the best examples of what it means to go from consent and faith to soul-saving faith. This girl is soundly persuaded She has experienced bankruptcy. There's nothing left on the table. The rich man comes to Jesus and said, what must I do to be saved? In parentheses, 
and I think I've done it all. And Jesus says, oh, yeah, you're close. Just give everything you have away. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, you're close. You can follow me. You just need to file personal bankruptcy. You need to quit hanging on to whatever it is you've been hanging on to. We're not playing church games here. We're talking about being born again and becoming a slave to Jesus Christ. Another man says, well, I, I really want to come, but my dad's sick, and it's the right thing for a son to take care of his aging parents. What he's saying is, it's not all on the line. It's not all there. I'm holding back. And Jesus is not trying to be tough on these people. He's trying to make the point. Spiritual birth is based in spiritual bankruptcy when you don't have anything else to hang on to. There's only one thing you want. Give me Jesus or I die. I need to have peace. I want forgiveness of sin and peace in my soul. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, wow, isn't this Naomi? Which means pleasant and lovely. And she said, don't call me that anymore. Call me bitter. Because the Lord's taken everything from me. I went away full to the land and the Lord brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord himself has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at about the time of barley harvest. The whole concept of saving faith and what it means is not a new discussion. Oh, there's been times in my life when I ask myself, I don't even know if I'm saved. This thing's going so wrong and things are so upside down. I'm not even sure I'm born again. There's been other times when I'm not sure I wanted to be saved. I was looking to jump ship. Is there an easier path? But because God's in charge, there was no jumping of ship. But a pulling close and say, stay with me, boy. Walk with me, boy. I'm going to change your heart. You're going to be fine. Stay with me. In 1869, a guy named Charles, and I love this illustration, a guy named Charles Blondin stretched a type rope across the Niagara Falls. It's about a quarter mile. Okay, you've probably heard of this. It's great history. He walked across 160 feet above the falls several times back and forth between Canada and the United States. Huge crowds on both sides with shock and awe. Yeah, because they're all hoping he falls. Yeah, it's like NASCAR. Sorry, a little jab. 
So the story's told that he's pushing the wheelbarrow a quarter mile on this cable, blindfolded. Okay, everybody's cheering him. He gets to the side and he says, well, you think I could do that again? And everybody says, yeah, you could do it again. What if I put a person in there? You think I could do it? Oh, you could do it again. Who wants to get in? Excuse me, I'm busy. I have to take care of my aging parents. I won't be able to ride today because I'm very wealthy. I won't be able to climb in the wheelbarrow today, although I know you can do it, but I'm not going to be able to get in today because I've got things that are, I've got demands on my time. I'm a busy guy. And I thought for me, what a wonderful thing for us to know that we're called to get in the wheelbarrow. Trust him. Go beyond belief. Tell you a little story. I can't mention any names. Years ago, I was counseling a young man, and we were going through Timothy. He was not born again. So anyway, we kind of headed off. We're going through Timothy, and I'm trying to explain to him what it means to have saving faith. And we're talking. We meet once a week. It's a great kid. And so I told him about the guy on Niagara Falls. I said, that's kind of an illustration. It's kind of a practical illustration of what it means to have saving faith. He says, okay, yeah, but I just don't get it. I I don't understand. If you were a better teacher, maybe. That was a cheap shot. So we're meeting back and forth every day. Every time we meet, how's it going? Good, I'm working on it. So one day he comes in and says, hey, what's happening? What's happening? What are you thinking? He says, I'm in the wheelbarrow. I got in. I get it. I'm in the wheelbarrow. That's where we want to be. And the word of God, the revelation of God Almighty is provoking us to that decision. The word is alive. It's living and it's powerful. And it's trying to take me because of my special needs. You have your own special needs. It's taking me to saving faith. And once I've been there, it's teaching me what it means to live saving saving faith. Because it's alive. God's alive. His word's alive. So my prayer would be, and I've been praying this constantly, Father, you've touched my heart in a very special way. Just your word. This just magnetic draws me. But I want everybody to feel the same. I don't want anybody to miss this. This is too sweet. To get a glimpse of our Father like this and walk on by, it's too much. So our prayer together is, Lord, through your living word, 
teach me. Go right down past the thoughts that I only share with myself. Go right to the things that I don't even admit to myself, things that I may not even understand that I think. Uncover it all. Save my soul. Bring me home. Bring me to Jesus. Let me say a prayer. Father, it's a special thing to belong to you. And it's very exciting to see that you're so driven to save our souls. And that you're driven to communicate your love, your forgiveness. You're driven to help us understand what it means to be loved by you. So it's just my prayer. Father, just if you would. Knit us together, first of all with you, but knit us together with each other in the knowledge that we need a Savior and a Savior's been found. And it's Jesus. Bless us to that end, we pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for joining me for this sermon from the Trinity College and Young Adult Ministry. We would love for you to join us in person soon. For up-to-date information, follow our Instagram at trinityc.ya. For information regarding Trinity Community Church, visit trinitycc.com. Until he returns, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you.